The Super Hits Podcast heads back to Australia as we talk about men at work and down under. Let's do it. Outback Jack would really like this episode. (laughs) We're talking about... Get it? Because he's from Australia. Crocodile Dundee. Uh, that's all I got. Uh, men at work. But that's who we're actually talking about as we are going to be reviewing Down Under in this episode of Super Hits Podcast. I'll take the lead this time around. I am Alan on Twitter and all the uh, social medias. You can find me Slip with Five Eyes or Slip. Jamie C here, Megamix.com, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and at Megamix.com.com. Uh, before, be before we get into this, were you excited when I wanted to do a Men at Work song because... In our backyard wrestling federation that we had 20 years ago, we'd had a tag team called Men at Work. I was very excited, and I was I was excited to drop the reference. So uh, you got it out of the way early. We did not use down uh, this song as a entrance theme, but you know, um, very well could have. Yes, we honored the band though. So we did. Yes. Uh, let's get into some background. So Men at Work are an Australian rock band. They were formed in Melbourne in 1978. Uh, the front man and, and pretty much the lead guy is Colin Hay. <laughs> yes. Uh, who performed lead gu- uh, vocals and guitar after playing as an acoustic duel with Ron Sky- or Skykurt during uh, 78 and 79. Uh, they formed a group together with Jerry Spicer on drums, and they were soon joined by Greg Hamm on flute, saxophone, and keyboards, yeah, as well as John Reese on bass guitar. And so they ended up having uh, five members of the kind of the main band, which would change or dwindle over time, uh, over the years. Mm-hmm. So Business as Usual was their debut album. It was released on November 9th in 1981 in Australia, About five months later, in April of 82, it was released in North America. Uh, It spent nine weeks at the top of the Australian chart. Uh, The Australian version of this album has a black and white cover design. Well, the version that we have is the same kind of, uh, uh, you know, kind of logoing on the front, Mm -hmm. but it is black and yellow. Yes. Uh, It was one of the most successful albums internationally by an Australian group. In the U.S., it spent 15 weeks at number one. Yeah. uh, From late 82 to early 1983. Five weeks at number one in the United Kingdom. It was also one of the highest-selling Australian albums in the early 1980s. Uh, Overall, it uh, shipped six million copies in the U.S. (laughs) Uh, So a number of singles off of this album, but the one we're focusing on, of course, is Down Under. Uh, This was actually originally released in 1980. It was the B-side to a local single released by Men at Work called Key Punch Operator. It was released before the band signed with Columbia. Uh, It was written by Colin Hay and Ron Streichert. And uh, you can actually uh, hear this, again, if you go to YouTube and just type in Down Under 1980. It has a different tempo and arrangement from the single that everyone's familiar with. Uh, a lot more down tempo. I kind of wrote it sounds like the police meets talking heads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's got that police, like when <laughs> when the police tried to do reggae, which like mm-hmm. I love the police, but which kind of sucks. Yeah. Uh, and then it's got more of a new wave feel as opposed to kind of yeah. like pop. Uh, yeah. The lyrics are the, uh, the same. They still have the flute part. And if you want to get a physical copy of the single, it will cost you at least $500. 
Wow. So it's uh it is a rarity uh, out there in the uh Very in cool. the record world. The most well-known version of the song was released on Columbia Records on November 2nd, 1981. It is the second single from Business as Usual, and it clocks in at 3 minutes and 42 seconds. Perfect. Yep. Uh, on Discogs, there are 51 versions of the song. The vast majority are from 81 and 82. Uh, the B-side will vary depending on which version you have, but I own the 1982 Canadian pressing from Columbia Records. The B-side is a track called Crazy crazy um it of course appears on many compilations Mm -hmm. Uh, i only noted a couple of them of course you can't list them all uh ktel compilation from 1983 that is fantastic called raiders of the pop charts oh my god that's amazing uh it has the raiders of the lost ark logoing on the front so that's the theme but uh ktel you know so good uh, also, there was a series of compilations that were released, I think every year for many years in Canada, at least, called Golden Platinum. That's right. Uh, and the original Golden Platinum from 1984 features Down Under. All right. There, of course, would be many se- uh, sequels of Golden Platinum. Mm-hmm. Uh, in wrestling, uh, yes. three wrestlers have used this as their theme music, from what I could tell. Yes. Uh, there was a wrestler from Ring of Honor named Dingo. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, not Dingo Warrior, by the way. No, no, just uh, Dingo. Dingo. Uh, in a fed called Muga, there was a wrestler named Mark McKay. And there was also a tag team in Shikara called, can you guess? Men at Work. Men at Work. Uh, so t- stealing from us. Yes. Men at Work uh, were made up of Mr. Zero and Shane Storm, neither of whom were from Australia. They're both from Pennsylvania. So good. And then one more time I noted, in our backyard wrestling fed, we had a tag team called Men at Work, but they used Who Can It Be Now as their theme song. Yes, they did. Not, uh, And I did a quick check just to make sure we never actually used Down Under at any point. We did not. They also used Here Come the Bastards by Primus. <laughs> Uh, Down Under is perceived as a patriotic song in Australia. Mm-hmm. They play it at sporting events. Um, I think some would go as far as to call it an unofficial national anthem of the country. Um, Amazing. I don't know. It's odd, odd. Like, I know quite a few people from New Zealand, but not many people from Australia. Mm-hmm. I, I'm i going to guess that they probably roll their eyes at this. But <laughs> Yes. Uh, uh, if you're from Australia and listening to this podcast, uh, please write us if you're rolling your eyes over these facts. Yes. Um, Let us know. It, it was used as a theme song by the crew of the Australia 2 in their successful bid to win the America's Cup in 1983. A remixed version of this song appears during the closing credits of Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. Of course it does. <laughs> and of course, Men at Work got together to play this song during the closing ceremonies of the 2000 Summer Olympics in Sydney. Getting so. a lot of uh, Australian traction. Yes, exactly. Uh, do you have any other facts or should we just go to the lyrics? Let's go to the lyrics. All right, so I got the lyrics down, but then I got quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of notes on this. Colin Hay told Song Facts when he was comp- uh, composing the song. He said, it's a very important song for me. It's always felt like a strong song right from the start. Originally, the idea came from a little bass riff that Ron Streichert, the guitar player for Men at Work, had recorded on a little home cassette demo. It was just a little bass riff with some percussion that he played on bottles, which were filled with water to varying degrees to get different notes. 
Uh, it was a very intriguing little groove. I really loved it. It had a real trance-like quality to, to it. I used to listen to it in the car all the time. So did he, did he just drive around listening to... When I was driving along one day in Melbourne, the chords popped out, and a couple of days later, I wrote the verses. So the song depicts an Australian man traveling the globe who meets people who are interested in his home country. The story is based in part on singer Colin Hay's own experiences. It uses a prominent reference to a Vegemite sandwich. Yes. A popular snack in Australia, which derived from an encounter during Hayes' travels abroad with a tall baker from Brussels who immigrated from Brunswick, Melbourne. Uh, some of the slang in this, and again, I got some of it, but if you're, again, if you're from Australia, fill us in on some other stuff. So the they open with the singer saying, traveling in a fried out combi on a hippie trail full of zombies. Uh, in Australian slang, fried out means lowered on chopped suspension springs. Okay. Combi is short for, this is a very long word, combinations craft wagon, which yeah. is a Volkswagen type two. And full of zombies refers to the use of a type of marijuana. So driving in a Jeep or in a Volkswagen uh, smoking dope. Yes. Uh, hippie trail refers to a subcultural tourist route popular in the 60s and 70s which stretched from western europe to southeast asia mm -hmm. and the song also contains the refrain where beer does flow and men chunder and chunder means to barf yes we mentioned vegemite before vegemite is a fermented yeast spread that is pretty much a national institution in australia some people love it and can't start the day without a piece of toast spread with Vegemite, and some will actually carry a small jar of it when they travel overseas. Mm. Others are indifferent to it, and others can't stand it. It kind of resembles smooth black tar and is some similar in taste to English Marmite. Um, well, that, that, that clears it up. I've never had Vegemite, though I've obviously heard of it. Um, have you had Marmite? I have not had Marmite. Okay. I have had neither. So uh, I have no idea. I mean, if I was in Australia, I'd probably try it because, you know, Absolutely. tourists. Yes. Uh, but again, um, I'm all, I'm curious again to know, like, Australians, is this true? Right? Is it a love-hate? Do people love it? Like, it's kind of like saying, oh, Tim Timmy's is, mm -hmm, exactly. you know, Tim, kind of you know, coffee. Tim Hortons in Canada, everybody drinks. And, and, you know, there's many of us who are like, no, no, man. Yeah. Oh, and, and Canadians have to travel and find it. No, no, no. So. so here's my question. I mean, you obviously are, um, you ever see yourself uh, getting down to Australia? Yes. Because you have a, a lot of groups down there, uh, you know, in, in the uh, garage and psych uh, world that you want to check out, I assume. Yeah, plus I just want to see Australia. I think it would be cool. But, uh, no, no, no. You wanna, you, all you want to do is, is see bands. Hey, a lot of those bands are small, but they would never be able to make it come over no, here and we've play. we've talked about that before. So. And, you know, that, that would, you'd have to go down there to see them. Yeah, so. so. Yeah, well, hopefully you'll get there. And then what you can do is that you can, uh, we can file like a follow-up. Yes, I'll do a report. Show be like, all right, so we're going to talk Vegemite. I'll walk around with a recorder in the streets of Sydney yeah. or Melbourne. Is this a thing? And mm -hmm. then you can uh, live cast yourself trying it. All right, stay tuned for that, everybody. Maybe yes. maybe we'll start a Patreon, and that's where you can hear yeah. it. <laughs> Exclusive. Yeah, we could send you to Australia. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, so speaking uh, to song facts again about the meaning of the lyrics, Colin Hay remarked, the chorus is really about... The selling of Australia in many ways, the overdevelopment of the country. It was a song about the loss of spirit in that country. 
It's really about plundering of the country by greedy people and uh, ultimately about celebrating celebrating the country, but not in a nationalistic way, not in a flag-waving way. It's kind of like, I don't know. It sounds like he doesn't know what it's about. <laughs> like, Kind of, though it does seem like it's a song that has been embraced by the country uh, and they kind of were like, well, that wasn't really the meaning. Uh-huh. Kind of reminds me of like Born in the USA. Yes, yes. Right? So... You know, um, that that's that's the kind of feel I get from 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 that quote for sh- for sure. Uh, actually, I'm going to throw out a quick shout out. Um, I'm going to be recording a session with our pal Barry, who was on the Barry. show a few episodes ago doing uh, November Rain and Night Moves. But he has a podcast called the Some Weird Podcast, mm-hmm. and I'm going on to his show to talk about um, kind of oddities and songs. And one of my sections is called Listen to the Lyrics. Yes, and uh, so we will talk about "Born in the USA" and how people misinterpret it, along with a song we covered a few episodes ago when we did "My Sharona." Yeah, I'm going to talk about the police and a couple of other songs. So yes, uh, check out. Make sure to let us know when you've got that in the can and ready to to, for our listeners. They can jump on and listen to that as well. Yes, Uh, let's talk about reception for "Down Under." Okay. Uh, so this went to number one in Australia in December of 1981, and in New Zealand it topped the charts in 1982. It would top the Canadian charts in October of 1982. So at the time, of course, it takes a little longer mm-hmm. for songs to hit over on uh, our side of the pond. <laughs> yeah, on our side of the globe. Yep. In the United States, the song debuted on the Billboard Hot 100 the week of November 6, 1982, at number 79. It would reach number one on January 15th, 1983. It spent four weeks at the top, non-consecutive. Okay. Eventually sold over two million copies in the U.S. And for the year 1983, Billboard ranked it as the number four track. Uh, yeah. Would you know? want to know the top ten on January 15th, 1983? I really, I was waiting for you to, to, to bring it up, so yes. Uh, Down Under by Men at Work at number one. <laughs> number two, get your barf bag ready. The Girl is Mine by Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney. Oh, oh my God. Awful. Uh, number three, Dirty Laundry by Don Henley. Number four, Man Eater by Hall & Oates. Yes. Number five, Sexual Healing by Marvin Gaye. All right. Uh, number six, Mickey by Tony Basil. Number seven, Africa by Toto. Number eight, Baby Come to Me by Patty Austin and James Ingram. Number nine, Rock the Casbah by The Clash. And number 10 is Heartbreaker by Dionne Warwick. Uh, you know, I, I think that I like that top 10. That's 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 an interesting one. Uh, You've got the Down Under and Africa on there. <laughs> uh, even more interesting was the song that was at number 87 during that week. What was that? Uh, it was 1999 by Prince. Yes. So, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, listen to episode one of the Super Hits podcast to learn more about 1999 by Prince. In January 1983, Men at Work were the first Australian artists to have simultaneous number one album and number one single in the U.S. Uh, and again, they uh, they achieved the same distinction in Australia, New Zealand, and United Kingdom. In the UK, the song topped the charts in January and February of 1983, and it's the only Men at Work song to make the top 20 in the UK, which is interesting, because Who Can It Be Now was a pretty big hit, but, you know. Well, you know, UK, right? Yeah. Uh, Went to number one in many other countries, Denmark, Ireland, Italy, and Switzerland, 
And uh, I also see Poland on the list here. It was a huge hit all around the world. I mean, I'm seeing ones and twos next to all of the oh, uh, yeah. all of the countries here. Well, the peak position on the Wiki. Lots of ones and twos. For year-end charts, 1981, number 88 in Australia. 1982, number 24 in Australia. Uh, 41 in Belgium. 11 in Canada. And in 1983 in the UK, it was number six. And in the US, Billboard Hot 100 for the year again, I think we said number three. So, um, yeah. Yeah. It, when it straddles those those years, hey, it's. Yeah. You know, can't, uh, those year end charts are, are sometimes deceiving. Yeah. If you want to get high on the year end charts, release your single in January, everybody. Yes, absolutely. Uh, they won the Grammy for Best New Artist in 1983. They were inducted into the ARIA Hall of Fame, Australia, I'm assuming, recording industry, or, uh, you know. I guess I should have looked up what that was as part of my research. Yeah, you really should have. <laughs> I'm such a jerk. ARIA <laughs> Music. Here we yes, go. There you go. People Come are just on. rolling their eyes, and we have international, or no, instrumental music. Oh, no, that's an ARIA. <laughs> that's the kind of music. <laughs> Uh, I love on-the-fly research. Oh, well, I'm the worst, everybody. He's done this while you while you moved on to the next thing. Thanks, buddy. In May of 2001, it was listed, this is down under, as number four on the APRA Top 30 Australian Songs. Mm -hmm. And Business as Usual appeared in the book, 100 Best Australian Albums, which that wouldn't surprise me whatsoever, right? No, so it would be the Australian Recording Industry Association. Thank you, buddy. You're welcome. In January 2018, as part of Triple M's OzFest 100, the most Australian songs of all time, uh, Down Under was ranked at number two. And that is not uh, not it. That is not OzFest. No, no. Oh, sorry, Ozist. <laughs> it is the Ozist 100, not OzFest. Oh, with Ozzy Osbourne. It's OzFest. That'd be great. Oz, it's still. It's not OzFest. Yeah, yeah. A whole yeah. other thing. Yeah, it was number two behind Crazy Train. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, the number Crazy. one. The number one song is Cold Chisel with K-San, which I don't know what that is. Mm -hmm. The Australian Performing Right Association celebrated its 75th anniversary in 2001 by naming Best Australian Songs. And there was a 100-strong uh, uh, panel, and Down Under was ranked as the fourth song on the list. In terms of greatest songs of the 80s, VH1 placed us at number 96. And it was added to the National Film and Sound Archives Sounds of Australia Registry in 2007. Right on. Big All right. Hit. Uh, maybe the most interesting part of this uh, episode, mm -hmm. for once, is in the covers and samples section. Should we talk about it? Let's do it. In 2007, on the ABC TV, ABC would be the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, not ABC that we're familiar with over here. That's right. Uh, on their quiz show, Spicks and Specs, the question was posed, <laughs> what children's song contained in is contained in the song Down Under? The answer is Kookaburra, a song yes. whose rights were owned by Larrikin Music, and this resulted in phone calls and emails to Larrikin the next day. They Bunch of snitches. Yes, they were told on. <laughs> They so saw this, bad. someone was watching this, and they were like, I'm fucking telling. So, 26 years later, I'm uh, telling. So Larrikin Music subsequently decided to take legal action against the song's writers. Uh, so How did they not know? I don't know. It's not like I it's a... I don't understand. It's not like it's an obscure song. 
No. Maybe, I don't know. Someone must have just gotten the idea. So um, one of the, I've actually seen this play out. I think um, if you remember the show Sports Night, uh, and no one does. But, no, I remember it. I've never seen it. So there's an Eric, Aaron Sorkin written show called Sports Night that he did before The West Wing. Yeah. And it's very good. If you haven't seen it, you can uh, find it on you know, streaming platforms, but there's an episode where they, they work for like a fake ESPN, like, you know, a fictitious ESPN station. And one of the uh, hosts of their kind of their sports center show sings happy birthday to his colleague. Yes. And they find out that happy birthday is actually owned by somebody. And so someone is trying to hit them up for royalties. Got to get those royalties, baby. Uh, So the idea, of course, and this comes a lot with uh, Christmas music, too, is that people just assume it's open source, (laughs) you know, and uh, it's not people. A lot of these songs are owned by somebody. So uh, the flute part of the recording of the song Down Under is to be based on Kookaburra. Uh, this was written in 1932 by Marion Sinclair, and the band actually remembered the inclusion of the melody as a musical joke by Greg Ham, who played flute. Uh, and in fact, in the music video, he's seen sitting on a gum tree. And if you go to the Kookaburra video, you'll see uh, the, the Kookaburra is sitting in a gum tree. So there you that's go. The, that's that's the lyrics of the song. It's a it's a, a famous song. I remember hearing this on you know, little kid music when my son was really young. And, uh, you know, I was like, hey, that's going it work. <laughs> so I didn't know the song growing up, but when I heard it on one of these, you know, one of these CDs you get, like at the, like, the kids' music, you know, little little baby music classes, and they'd give you a, the kookaburra was on there, and I, w- I was like, ah, that's where that's from. So I didn't even know. Uh, so Marion Sinclair, the writer of the song, died in 1988, and the rights to Kookaburra were deemed to have been transferred to publisher Lurican Music in 1990, and in the United States, the rights are administered by Music Sales Corporation in New York City. So, yeah. in 2009, 28 years after the song came out, Lurican Music sued men at work for copyright infringement, alleging that part of the flute riff was copied from Kookaburra. The counsel for the band's record label and publishing company claimed that based on the agreement under which the song was written, the copyright was actually held by Girl Guides Association. Okay. On July 30th, Justice Peter Jacobson of the Federal Court of Australia made a preliminary ruling that Larrikin did not own copyright on the song, but the issue of whether or not... Uh, well, they did was, own the copyright, right? Uh, no, uh, sorry, did own the copyright. Thank yeah. you, thank you. But well, the issue of whether or not it was plagiarized or the riff was plagiarized, was set aside to be determined at a later date. Well, I mean, it clearly was. Uh, so about a year later, the same justice ruled that the copyright had been infringed because yeah. Down Under reproduced a substantial part of Kookaburra. It's so weird. The whole thing is strange because they didn't own the copyright when the song was was made. And so, you know, it's a weird, you know, the legal stuff is so I mean, they crazy. may not have thought of it, right? The guy who wrote it owned yeah. it when it was made and probably either didn't think about it or didn't give a shit. It got transferred and maybe they didn't think about it, right? Yeah, Who knows? Exactly. Eventually it just takes some greedy fuck to Of course. to have the it come across their mind and be like, "Wait a second. I'm still I'm still on about all the snitches. I just can't. Like, <laughs> come on. Uh, so when asked how much Lurican would be seeking in damages, their lawyer replied, "Anything from what we've claimed, uh, which is between 40 and 60%." Jesus. And what they suggest, which is considerably less, so what men in work would suggest, which I would hope yeah. is zero. 
Yeah. Uh, in court, there was the opinion that had the parties negotiated a license at the outset, the royalties would have been between 25 and 50%. Yep. On July 6, 2010, Justice Jacobson handed down a decision that Larrikin received 5% of royalties from 2002, which seems really low when you think about it. But It does. It does. Especially uh, the uh, prominence of the, of the of the of the little riff in the song, but hey, there you go. Until Good. this high-profile case, the standing of Kookaburra as a traditional song, combined with the lack of visible policing of the song's rights, had led the general public perception led to the general public perception that the song was within the public domain. The revelation of its copyright status um, has generated a negative response among sections of the Australian public. Again, if you're from Australia, confirm or deny. Mm -hmm. Were people mad? Uh, Colin Hay has suggested that the deaths of his father, Jim, in 2010 and of men at work flute player, Greg Ham in 2012 were directly linked to the stress of the court wow. case. Wow. So awful. Some bitterness. Uh, so we're trying to, trying to grab over half the royalties mm -hmm. come on yep uh, anyway uh, so again if you're recording music everybody yes look at your Careful. sources yes uh colin hay has re-recorded this song on a number of occasions and like almost annoyingly like i feel like he's just like dipping his toes back into that uh well <laughs> over and over and over hey yeah uh he recorded it in 2003 with cecilia noel and the wild clams and it's not too bad a version um, again, he did an acoustic version in 2003, which is an acoustic version of Down Under. Mm -hmm. And he did it again in 2021 with a band called Lude, L-U-U-D-E. It's a drum and bass track, and I don't think it's very good. <laughs> I, oh, no, drum and bass is... That's right. It's yeah. not, I, I did the techno beat. Yeah. Come on. Yes. Uh, there are about 40 yeah. other covers of this on Who Sampled most of which aren't terribly notable. Uh, there was one by Pennywise that I didn't think was very good. Uh, I, another one was by Ninja Sex Party, which ah. I was hoping would be great, but it's really just kind of a good cover that sounds a lot like the original. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a serious video, but uh, ah. I mean, it sounds good, but uh, I was expecting a different take. Yeah, Pennywise would have been one of those versions, and I didn't listen to it, but uh, I haven't listened to it, but, you know, in... in in the early 2000s when these these pop punk bands would do 80s covers. Yep. They're all pretty much exactly the same. Uh, as you for know. samples, we got quite a few. They do a series on uh, YouTube, I guess, Epic Rap Battles in History, or of mm -hmm. History. Yes. Uh, there was one of Jacques Cousteau against Steve Irwin. Yes. Um, I remember that one. Where really Steve Irwin just says, you better run, you better take cover. Like, that's really it. That's that's his that's his uh, his uh, his reference. Yeah. Uh, there is a group called Messy Pandas. Uh, Come on. They did a rap song called "Make It Whoop" in 2017, and God. they uh, cover the song extensively. I wrote, "It's okay." Yeah. And Mad Mix Mustang mashed this up with Kryptonite by Three Doors Down in 2012. God, I don't. I, come on. I said it's okay, uh, but you it's, don't. Know. Oh, shocking! Yes. I thought it would be really bad. <laughs> let's talk about the music video. Yes, let's do this. So the music video was a huge hit on MTV. Of course, this was released right at the time where the station was brand new. Yes, we um, got a bunch of white guys. And perfect, yeah, perfect right? <laughs> yes. Yep. Uh, there weren't many videos to choose from at the time, so they got a ton of airplay. They didn't know much about MTV, that is, men at work, 
But again, we've noted this before. The British and Australian bands had been making videos for a long time. Yep. Uh, the band made a video to fit their personality. They often improvised scenes and used their friends for help. They were uh, wacky. They were crazy and wacky. Yes. So the video comically plays up events to the lyrics. It shows uh, the members of the band riding around in a Volkswagen combi. Mm -hmm. Uh, eating muesli with a strange lady, eating and drinking at a cafe, lying in an opium den. Uh, the band are moved along at one point by a man in a shirt and tie who places a sold sign on the ground. They the they selling of Australia. Yeah, they yes, they sold or sorry, they've shot the music video or some of it at the Cronulla Sand Dunes in Sydney, and you can see this. There's desert footage. Mm -hmm. uh, the band are seen carrying a coffin across the dunes at the end, and Colin Hayes said. This was a warning to his fellow Australians that the country's identity was dying as a result of overdevelopment and Americanization as they made a music video for MTV. Yes. Oh, gosh. And then there's uh, a scene with the uh, six foot uh, four and full of muscles guy. Uh, that's actually the drummer, Jerry Spicer. Uh, they put him on lifts. Nice. Uh, and he, he flexes, but he is... <laughs> He's, he flexes, but he is definitely not full of muscles. No. So my own take on the video is it's just humorous scenes. It's uh, And again, the lyrics describe what they're doing. The band gets into, as I described eloquently, into a bunch of situations. Yes, they. it's Australian shenanigans. Yes. My favorite part is when they have the still shot in the sand dunes where the five members are just dancing in the sand. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like the my favorite is right out of the gate with the dude in the under the giant singlet yes. playing on the on the bottles there. That was that's that's my favorite part. And again, the funeral procession that was mentioned, one of the band members is dragging a stuffed koala on a string uh, behind hmm. them. So there you go. Any thoughts on the music video or do you just want to go to the rating? Let's go to the rating. All right, you go first for the music video. You know what? I'm going to give the music video a 7 out of 10. I think it's a good concept video, uh, especially for the time uh, in the early 80s. Uh, my, my note on it was Australian dorks doing dorky Australian stuff, but it's actually pretty fun. Uh huh. So I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. I gave it an 8. Nice. I think it's a video looks good. It's entertaining. One of the things we've seen in some videos is people do things in the video and you're like, what's happening? Like, this doesn't yeah. make sense. It doesn't meet the lyrics. It doesn't match logic. In this case, they do things that they say in the song. Yes. To, to, to pair the visuals with the lyrics is great. Uh, it is well produced. And again, for the time, it was uh, one of the much better music videos of the time. So I gave yeah. it an eight. Uh, Absolutely. What would you give the song? I'm going to give the song a six. I think it's a good mid-tempo rock track. Uh, at the high end of my three-star rating uh, in my iTunes library. I love the... Uh, the uh, ganked flute ri flute uh, riff. Yep. Um, I think this song is well produced. It's a nicely layered track, um, and uh, the Men at Work fellas sound tight as a band. Uh, I gave it a seven. So uh, as, five in a row from the Slipman. Uh -huh, as usual, I like it more than you too. I think on average, I'm uh, not all the time though. You gave Doctor Feelgood back and forth. Yeah, we've gone back and forth. You you liked it more than me. I liked it more than you. You liked it more than me. I liked it more than you. And now you like it more than me. So we've been pretty uh, pretty uh, back and forth in the last uh, handful of episodes. You know, I talked a lot um, in previous episodes about 80 songs that I, you know, I, I am a frequent 80s night uh, attender. Yes. Heard all of kind of the big hits, especially 
and there's a in the 80s yeah and, and there's a lot that i have grown tired of mm-hmm. uh this one is played all the time and i do not tire of it i still enjoy when i hear it yeah, yeah so it has staying power with me and i think for that alone i'm just gonna uh give it a solid seven out of ten right on buddy uh, so I think we're going into our first uh, repeat artist next week. Is that correct? We are, by request from my wife. We are doing uh, George Michael's Freedom, a.k.a. Freedom, exclamation point, uh, uh, apostrophe 90. Uh-huh. We've covered uh, a uh, George Michael duet with Aretha Franklin back uh, on episode five. Uh, we're dipping back into the George Michael bag uh, next episode. So uh, look forward to that. I should note, uh, if you want to hit us up, you can go to superhitspodcast at gmail.com. Heather Kenyon Miner, who is uh, was a listener to another one of uh, my podcasts, the Narbos and Broomheads podcast. Great podcast. Check uh, it out, folks. Uh, su- kind of uh, reviewed a list with her husband and yes. came up with a bunch of songs. And I've got, there's got to be a list here of probably 40 tracks. Oh so, my gosh. So we have no shortage of tracks to pick from. But uh, we'll pick one uh, together, and uh, if we cover off songs from this, I'll make sure to note it, including some from the 90s. I always love some good 90s tracks. You know, there's some there's some uh, requests for Nirvana, Jane's Addiction, Faith No More. That feels up your, in your wheelhouse, buddy. Oh, I'm so excited. So uh, make it happen. Also, you can hit us up at SuperHitsCast on Twitter, and we're on Instagram, SuperHitsPodcast, at, uh, or not at anything. <laughs> it is not email addresses on Instagram, everybody. No. no. <laughs> uh, so uh, with that, uh, I guess we're going to uh, see you when we see you. Thanks, folks. Bye. Bye.